Okay, we should start. The, um, our normal chair can't be here. So, um, so I'll have to chair this myself. Uh, so for those of you who don't, don't know, I'm, I'm Kevin Denny in the School of Economics and uh, also associated with, uh, with Geary. Um, as many of you know, I set up all these animations because I assumed I could do it remote, but I have to stand here to do it. As many of you know, um, there's an infinite number of papers, um, if not more, estimating the returns to education, some of which have been written uh, in this very institute. Uh, and what does that mean? Mostly it's about um, the private returns, how individuals benefit from their own um, education. So, you know, 99% of those papers are about the effects on earnings. So the so-called uh, Mincer model, or more generally, uh, human capital model. So there's, there's tons and tons of papers on that, and um, I find it a little bit, a bit, bit boring at this stage. There's um, a much smaller number of papers looking at um, things like labor market status. So you might think one of the benefits from education is that it gets you, helps you get a job or prevents you from losing your job. Um, so there is some work on that, but much, much less. And then there's other private benefits, um, things like health, um, looking at how uh, your education leads to either better health outcomes or uh, better health behaviors. So behaviors that, you know, uh, affect your health, smoking, drinking, and uh, risky sex, and stuff like that. So that, 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 there's still a lot of work to be done in that area. Actually, I've, I've started doing some work on, on, on that uh, uh, recently. Uh, so alongside that, uh, one can think of uh, social returns. By this I mean returns to society above and beyond returns to the individual. So what we might call external benefits or, or externalities. Uh, so this is where my, for example, my education uh, makes somebody else better off. Uh, so one example would be productivity spillovers. Um, if my education improves uh, somebody else's productivity. Now, the, the mere presence of a spillover doesn't necessarily qualify it um, as an external benefit uh, or as an externality. Clearly, if my education uh, improves uh, uh, Paul's productivity, um, but it's rewarded by UCD appropriately, then that's been internalized, so it's not an externality. Not that there's any chance of that happening. Uh, um, so leaving aside kind of more, more economic outcomes, um, um, people have got interested in, say, whether education affects uh, civic engagement. So looked at the effect on voting. I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and also in social capital literature, so things like memberships of the societies. So people like Putnam and so on, we big into this, John Helliwell and others. And, sorry? Bertie Ahern. Yes, yes. Who? <laughs> Remember Bertie Ahern. Um, and then in the, in the kind of political science literature, um, and also some economists, they've looked at things like political tolerance, so tolerance of 
of people who have other attitudes to you, different political attitudes. Um, and also support for free speech. So some people will regard these as, as the kind of softer, um, softer outcomes. I don't, you can call it what you like, I don't really care for that term. Uh, so next question, oh, here we go. No, we don't want that. Uh, sorry, yay. So why should we care about social returns? Um, well, one reason is that, and this argument probably makes hopefully a lot of sense to economists and maybe quite uh, almost repulsive to a non-economist. If the returns are all private, right, if the only people who benefit from your education is you, then it's much less clear that there's an argument for a public subsidy for education. You know, it's your investment, you're the benefit. The one who benefits from it, pay for it yourself. Right? That would be a, the argument, just like any other investment. Uh, whereas if there are external uh, returns, then like a lot of extra, you know, ex general argument for positive externalities, there's a, a basis for subsidy. That's not quite true if the, if the market is, if they're imperfect capital markets, right? imperfect markets for human capital. So for example, if there are credit constraints, uh, if um, notwithstanding private returns, even if returns are all private, if some people just can't afford to go to college, right? there's some imperfect market then that would be an argument. And the evidence on that, depending on who you listen to, is, is quite mixed. So some people, uh, of which a prominent example would be Jim Heckman, thinks that credit constraints are kind of irrelevant, or relatively small. Uh, a lot of people, uh, well, a significant number of people disagree. What's I think certainly clear is that a lot of the simple socioeconomic gradient between education, you know, say parental background and education can be explained by other stuff, long run factors, educational attainment, and so on. So I've shown this for Ireland, for example. Also, other people have shown it. Uh, so, 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 so that's one reason why I think one should be interested in these um, social returns, that it, it has some relevance to the argument about public subsidy of education. Um, and I suppose the second thing is that people kind of generally think of education as character forming. You know, we don't just see education, many people just don't see education as, as how to make you more productive, that it makes you a better citizen. So kids do civics in school, right? The idea is somehow it makes you a better, better citizen. So that's one question is, well, is that, is that true? So what do we, what do we know? So there's, there's tons of uh, studies that look at um, kind of political um, attitudes and participation, so membership of political parties, um, uh, voter turnout, um, things like whether you sign a petition or not, how often you sign a petition, and so on, all those sorts of, sort of political engagement uh, issues. And you know, sure enough, the correlation is positive, but there could be lots of reasons for that. Uh, to give you one example, just one that I happen to know, um, uh, Oral Doyle and I have a paper that looks at voter turnout uh, and we, we have a lot of psychological measures and cognitive measures and you find that basically uh, some of the correlation between education and voter turnout can partly be explained by a correlation with, with cognitive ability. Smarter people are more likely to vote and they're also more likely to have higher education. 
Well, that's, that's, that's just one. So we need to go, um, I think, beyond mere correlation, and that's what, uh, that's what the, the, the recent literature tries to do. So 2004, two papers came out in the Journal of Public Economics um, that use IV to crack this. So they're looking at, mainly looking at voter turnout and, and one attitudinal uh, outcome. The instruments they use, so one is for the UK, I think um, one is for the US. Um, so they're estimating voter turnout models, instrumenting education, in some cases with changes in school leaving laws, the old reliable, and something else, I can't remember. They have a bunch of different, different uh, instruments. And they find that um, there's a, their, their interpretation is that education has a causal positive impact on, on voter turnout. Last year, a bunch of papers came out um, or emerged. They're all either forthcoming or they may have forthcome by now, I'm not sure. Um, I think one of these is for Germany, one is for Norway, and one is for somewhere else. Uh, doing the same kind of thing. Um, and whether coincidentally or otherwise, they actually find quite different results that does, does apparently no effective education on, on voter turnout. Some of that may be, I think, weak instruments, that they're just getting lack of precision. That, that's, in, in not, not in all cases, but I think in some cases that's... Doesn't this uh, mirror the earnings findings too, that people then find big findings for the US and UK? Yeah, very small effects on earnings in Germany, um, well, that wouldn't be true for Britain, and it wouldn't be true for Ireland, where you get big IV effects. Right, but the British paper, the Milligan paper, I think it's used in Britain, isn't it? Yeah. They do find positive effects on voting and positive effects on earnings. Yeah. So, like in Germany, Fischke has a paper showing the zero effects of multi-scoring on earnings. So, if there's no effect on earnings, it's probably not surprising if it doesn't have a big effect on voting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, so well, actually, I mean, there's a paper, um, Brunello, Four, Fort, and Guillermo Weber, and they use all these school leaving age reforms to look at earnings, uh, and they do find an effect. And this is, this is every Rosla in Europe. I'm a bit suspicious about some of it, but um, yeah. they find. Yeah. I've some sort for the UK that are small. It's, it's, it's kind of mixed. It's all over the place. Mm. And the instruments vary. I mean, I've looked at actually those school leaving age instruments, and in some cases they have big effects, and some it's, it's very, it's actually not quite robust. Not as robust as it's made out. That would be my experience. So what am I going to do here? So here I'm looking at the effect of education on, um, on an outcome. And the outcome is people's stated tolerance towards homosexuals. So let me be clear. First of all, this paper is positive, not normative. Right? So I'm just looking at what the effect is. I'm not uh, advocating a particular stance or criticizing it. You know, I have my opinions as a, as a, as a private citizen, but that's, there's nothing privileged about those. So in that sense, looking at, you know, calling, I call this paper uh, social returns. Uh, normally in this literature, you're looking at things which are kind of unambiguously good, I think. 
Whereas if you're looking at an attitude, clearly people have different attitudes. Um, I don't think it's for the investigator to say, oh, well, you guys are you know, wicked or whatever. Um, so why am I looking at, uh, at gays? Uh, well, you could look at other groups. I mean, for party, it's novelty, right? I thought it hasn't been done. This kind of exercise hasn't been done before. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, but you could look at other groups. An obvious one would be, say, immigrants, because numerically they're much more important. It's much more of a, a kind of a live issue, I suppose. Um, and I don't do that partly because it's been done, um, but, but for another, another reason. And this relates to a paper by uh, Kevin O'Rourke and Richard Sinnott. Some of you will know Richard Sinnott works upstairs. Kevin O'Rourke is uh, in Trinity, on his way to, to Oxford. They have a paper, uh, they have a bunch of papers looking at attitudes. Um, and they have a particular one looking at people's attitudes to immigrants and relating it to skill level. So in a nutshell, it's based, or it's largely based on trade theory. So the idea is different countries have different endowments. Um, that predicts immigration. So high skilled countries, high endowment, rich countries attract low skilled immigrants. Um, and then people's attitude to immigrants will depend on their own skill level. So if you're highly skilled in a, in a rich country like Ireland, immigrants are great because they're going to be your waiters, your childminders, your cleaners. Uh, but if you're low skilled, then they're, they're the last thing you want because they're competition. Okay? Uh, you can see that in, in Ireland. Okay? Cleaners in, in UCD, very clear example. Cleaners in UCD used to be all working class Dublin women. And then overnight they became immigrants a couple of years ago. Um, so, so their theory is, is based on, on that. So, so the way I would, I would put it is that they have a kind of a, a vested interest theory um, of attitudes to immigrants. Uh, I mean, they, that's, they did, their argument's a bit more subtle than that. Whereas what I want to get at is what I would call pure prejudice. So it seems to me it's much harder to think of a kind of vested interest why you would have a, a problem with, with homosexuals. Whereas there's, there's kind of clearly a vested interest. Now, it's not a simple, you can think of arguments, both types of arguments for both types of groups, but I think the vested interest one kind of more clearly fits this group and what I call pure prejudice or intolerance more clearly applies to this group. Okay, so that's, that's, my, that's my logic. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, so in some sense, this is, um, so what I'm saying, I have to be careful about the language, this is kind of saying there may be a rationale for, say, not liking, not liking immigrants. And that could be a rationale for not liking gays. So, I mean, you can, it's not a clear delineation. Uh, it just seems to me that, that the homophobia is towards this end of the, the continuum. Um, yeah. So, so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but there's a couple of questions that, that need to be addressed. Um, one obvious one is, do people mean what they say? Right? So we're looking at what people say they, they, they think. And there's a number of reasons to think maybe not. One obvious one is what's called social desirability bias. It's a big thing in social psychology and in the marketing literature which is that when you ask people things, questions, they, they want to appear nice, right? Most of us don't like to appear uh, kind of nasty, right? 
one or two obvious exceptions. Uh, um, and so there are different ways of getting around. And there's also things like cognitive biases. The order in which you ask questions in surveys can influence things. Or if you ask people, do you like X, you get a different answer than if you ask, do you dislike not X, and so on. There's all sorts of subtle issues like that. Interviewer effects. Females respond differently to male interviewers than females, and so on. And there's a whole technology in, in survey design about dealing with these things. So for sensitive questions, they'll have um, one is they can give you a tablet computer and you just push a button so the person doesn't see it. Or they, have, uh, they leave you with a, a, a survey in an envelope and they say, I'll come back and collect it later so you're not embarrassed about saying anything and so on. Um, so the only discussion I know of in the economics literature is this paper by Bertrand and Molenetton. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, in, I think it's the AER 2001, called Do People Mean What They Say? And they're fairly negative about using these kind of attitudinal outcomes on the left-hand side, right, as, a, as a, a dependent variable. And they, so think of it like a measurement error, that the, the true attitude equals the stated one plus a measurement error. And they basically say, well, the measurement error is going to be correlated with the stuff that you're going to be having on the right-hand side, so say education. So that all the education is doing is predicting the kind of, the, the, the the dishonesty rather than the true attitude. They don't provide any evidence for this. And they then go on and just basically take it for, for granted. Um, so I don't find their argument convincing just because they don't provide any evidence. It may be true. To some extent, what I'm going to do, I think, partly addresses that. Um, uh, but the jury, the jury is out. Uh, I mean, there are technologies for trying to get at people's kind of inner feelings, right? For some, you know, for some things, um, you can look at biological measures to pick up people's attitudes to things. For example, if we're looking at sexual arousal, there are well-known technologies for picking out what people's true sexual orientation is, not just asking them. So, uh, leaving aside that, do people mean what they say? There's also an issue, do people act as they say? I mean, you might just say, well, yeah, okay, somebody says they're anti-immigrant or they're homophobic or, or, or not. But who cares, you know, if they don't act on it, if somebody doesn't actively go out and do something, you know, act on these phobias or prejudices, maybe it doesn't matter. So we don't know whether people, even if they're homophobic, whether they go out and, you know, attack people or whether it influences them. So. so the data I'm using is from the European Social Survey. I use four waves. That's, that's all that's currently available. I think wave five is, uh, is in the pipeline now. Um, currently, there's over 30 countries. Um, nice little data set. It's not huge, but um, it's a random survey of population based on face-to-face -face interviews and so on. The UCD data was coordinated here, as it happens. Uh, when you pull the four waves, you get just over 7,500. Um, the maximum possible I could have used for this is about six and a half thousand. That's just missing observations using case-wise deletion. That'll get you down to six and a half thousand. Now I'm going to use two subsamples of that because I'm going to use a, um, a natural experiment, a policy reform, to generate the the instrumental variables. So I'm going to consider two windows around that: plus or minus five years and plus or minus ten years, to try and focus in on the effect of the reform. That's what brings the sample down.
here's just some raw data. So, so the question that people were asked, okay, so this is the outcome that I'm looking at, is people were asked, gays and lesbians should be free to live life as they wish, and then you were five possible responses from disagree strongly, disagree, neither agree nor disagree, agree, agree strongly. This is kind of standard thing that's used in the data, lots of other attitudes. So this is the full sample, this is the data we use, uh, use in, the, in the regressions. So about a quarter, just less than a quarter agree strongly, 56, 60% agree, relatively small numbers um, say or admit to disagreeing with the statement. Okay. So I'm going to be looking at, at basically this outcome and then I'm going to uh, simplify it um, a little bit. So this is just for the Irish data. I'll talk a bit about some other data as well. So is, is there any way to benchmark that as a prejudice measure? Like you could, you know, you could ask me a question that you know, people should be free to, to live life as they wish. And then you start thinking about it. Well, you know, I might say I strongly disagree because I don't want you know, people having Anyone. inside my window, irrespective of who they are. Yeah. Um, That's what... In this data, so there's lots of attitudinal questions. There's nothing, there's a bunch of questions on immigrants. There's about five or six questions on immigrants. One is like, you know, are they good for the country's cultural life? Are they good for the economy? There's a bunch of those. And that's what some of the literature in social psychology does is try and use data on other attitudes to, to pick out these things. But, but you'll still have the problem, I mean, you benchmark this against something else. I'm just thinking of some other measure, say libertarianism. You could think of this as a measure of libertarianism. Yeah. Should people be allowed to live as light as they wish? Some of us would say no, some would say yes. Hmm. It just happens here, you've got gays and lesbians, but it could be any group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you had that question, just should people be free, yeah. then you could yeah. use that. Um, I guess they thought that was too obvious to put in, you know. Um, yeah, so I have a question. I actually addressed that. That's the last thing I'm going to talk about. <laughs> that's my... Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, the last thing I'm going to look at is another attitude, um, which is, is related to this. Um, just in case you're interested in the cross-country picture, so this is, this is not the results from the Eurovision. Um, so I've just taken the percentage who either agree or agree strongly. Um, I can't remember whether it's a full sample or which subsample or, or whatever. And this isn't the top, whatever, 12 or 13. I've just kind of randomly picked. Um, Netherlands tops the pile. Um, and, uh, and then the, kind of the, the Nordic countries are up there as well. Uh, Norway uh, and Finland are up there. Uh, Southern and Eastern Europe are very clearly down the, down the, the bottom right, uh, are down the lowest percentage. Um, interestingly, the the Baltic states, not just Estonia, but Lithuania and so on, are much more like Northern Europe. They're not really not like Eastern, other Eastern Europe countries. Uh, so Poland, Greece, Spain, so on. 
Um, so I'm not really that interested in the cross-country pattern, but it's kind of interesting because I would have thought, you know, that maybe Spain and Italy would be similar, both Mediterranean Catholic countries, but uh, um, maybe in Italy for some reason. Something to do with having Berlusconi as a prime minister, they're more tolerant of people. Um, So identification. So this relies on an approach used by a paper by myself and, and Colm Harmon uh, many years ago, where we uh, take advantage of the, of the fact that secondary school fees, tuition fees, were abolished in 1968. So it was started in, it was actually announced in 67. Donna O'Malley was a, a famous Fianna Minister for Education. And um, he just announced it. And, it's pretty much a kind of a clean natural experiment in the sense that it was just, um, it just happened. Allegedly, he didn't even tell the cabinet before he announced it um, because he thought if he announced, if he brought it to cabinet, they might say no. So he just went with it. Um, Did everyone have to pay fees beforehand? Yeah. And how much were fees? Uh, we worked, I mean, there's no, there's no direct records. In our paper, we, it would have been, for low-skilled workers, it was, quite, it was a couple of weeks' wages. That's, that was our rough estimate we came. We had to kind of, there's no, there's no direct evidence, but we kind of hustled around various kind of doddering old teachers and asked them how much was it. And it was the same in every school? It was just a, no, it would have, no, it would have varied, because it, it varies now, even amongst fee-paying schools. Yeah, um, and you quite a, quite a variation. So we do two things. So, so one is we're going to have a, we're going to get the direct effect of this reform. So we create um, a dummy, well it's a step dummy, which is zero if people couldn't have been affected by the reform, right? If they're sufficiently uh, old, they're finished their education, so they couldn't have been affected. Two, if they would have been definitely exposed to the reform, if they hadn't started secondary school um, by the time of this reform. And then there's a, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a smaller number in between where you can't, they may have been in secondary school when the reform happened, so they might have been affected uh, because they might have been in there and then that might have made them stay on. Um, so this is a fairly small group. Um, and I've, how you exactly define this is, is, is somewhat arbitrary, but I've played around with it by moving it up and down by, by one year. So this is based on Bert here. That doesn't make too much difference. So that's going to be a step dummy. Um, and I'm going to use uh, two windows, plus or minus five years and plus or minus 10 years. Um, some of the people that use these kind of education reforms tend not to do this. And I think what they actually end up picking up is some sort of long-run trend. Uh, this, can, this can matter, in my experience. So that's, that's the direct effect, but people are often sometimes a bit worried about using these things because they're saying, well, maybe it's just correlated with the trend. So what I do, what we did, is that we interact that with socioeconomic status. So basically, you would, ex you would expect this reform to have different effects depending on your, your socioeconomic background. Okay, so you have a positive gradient, right? Better off your farm, or the more educated your father is in this case, um, uh, and what you'd expect this reform, because it's abolishing fees, is to make that gradient uh, flatter, right? That's what we found. 
with, uh, it was the ESRI, whatever it was, their, their first big cross-section. And then we also looked at it for IALS. And I looked at this for several data sets, and it's a, quite a robust finding. Uh, there, there was also a, a, a raising of the school leaving age in 1972, and I do experiment with that, but actually this, isn't, this is a waste of time. It doesn't really do anything, in my experience. I'm, I'm, I think Colm and Tim, Callan used it in a paper, and, and maybe they did find it had an effect, but not, there's no hint of it here. Uh, so just, just to be clear on what the, the strategy is, so we're going to have a, an outcome we'll call a tolerance, which depends on schooling. We're going to allow socioeconomic status to have a direct effect. You know, I've no priors on this, right? It may or may not, but, and then a small number of other controls. And then we're going to be instrumenting schooling with uh, socioeconomic status. That's going to be parental or paternal education. Sorry, this is just a, a control. This is, and then the instruments are the, the no fees, the direct effect of the reform. And I'm going to turn that into two dummies. And then I'm going to interact that variable, and I'm just going to leave it as a variable, not just, just to minimize clutter, with socioeconomic status. So these are our instruments. So you expect this to be positive, just socioeconomic gradient, everyone knows that. You expect C2 to be positive, my free fees are going to have more education. Um, and then we expect this to be um, negative, right? The, the gradient becoming flatter. They don't have cohort effects. Uh, no, I have, I have a quadratic for age. Okay, not cohort. So, like, you have a 10 year window and you have a quadratic for age, so that should pick up cohorts. Shouldn't it? I guess in a cross section, because you've got a repeated cross section. Um, yeah, I suppose I could do cohort effects. And I, guess oh. it, I guess the question is whether do you want to get identification from the, the jump in the fact that the fees just switched off at some point versus the trend. And if you want to get rid of the trend, you just put in some sort of cohort trend. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, so I, I mean, I like. This, if I just use this, I, if I forget these interactions, you get the same result. I'm not sure I tried it without the direct effect and just the interaction. Um, in our IV, in our earnings paper, we did just use the interaction as the instruments and not the, not the direct effect on the basis that it might be just picking up some sort of trend. And there it, it, it was robust. Yeah, uh, I mean, education was in, ge in general trending up, um, but I thought by having the quadratic in age. Um, so if I just interact out with the, the waves, that would do. And the waves are only two years apart, so it's it's almost a it's almost a cross section. So I'm going to be looking at uh, an ordered outcome um, initially, sort of five orders. So I use ordered probit. 
uh, so do simple orbit, orbit probe it, we're all familiar with it, and then do an IV version of it. So it's going to be conditional maximum likelihood. So probability of outcome J from 1 to 5, blah, 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 blah depends on, on schooling. And then a schooling equation where Z is our, our instruments, uh, epsilon and, and eta are the uh, disturbance terms, and the key thing is that you assume they're bivariate normal. That's pretty much... Um, almost mandatory. S I'm going to measure by years of schooling and not levels. And there's two reasons for that, one, one good and not, one not so good. One is it's a lot easier just to use years of schooling rather than modeling it as levels of schooling. For, for, for economists it's kind of natural to use years of schooling, we just think that's how education is, is measured. And for earnings that may make sense, but you, know, you might think for something like this it makes more sense to look at levels. It's maybe, you know, graduates, having a degree sets you apart from being a Leaving Cert uh, graduate. Um, it turns out not to be the case, actually, to my, somewhat to my surprise. So in, in, in the paper, table two, um, I do a kind of horse race. So I put in years of schooling and I put in levels. Actually, once you put in years of schooling, levels just drop out. So. Uh, so that was kind of a, a pleasant uh, surprise, but it's also convenient because at least this equation, at least one equation, is, is linear. You wouldn't expect the instruments necessarily to have a, a lot of power to explain whether you have a college degree. Well, in, in, in the case of Ireland, I mean, what happened? Um, I mean, you, you, you abolish, by abolishing fees, you got suddenly, there was a knock on effect. Kids got to do the leaving cert that didn't do it before. Because of the leaving cert, they went on and got degrees. So it does, um, it does affect levels, and it affects years. Was there much, um, was the grant system like for third level education in that period? Because sure enough, the no fees gets poorer kids into secondary school than they complete secondary school. Would, would they then have been credit constrained to go to college, or was there a um, beg your pardon. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have evidence on, on the generosity of the system. Uh, uh, it's actually. It's actually quite hard to get data on stuff like that. Even going back to the 80s. Um, so I don't know if there, were, if there were kind of sudden changes in the grant system. Uh, you might be able to get the number of people on it. Yeah. But to get a grant, you needed four hours. Did you? Yeah. I should. Yeah. I mean, that was my kind of my, my brother's generation. Quite I don't. While, the, the hurdle for getting a grant was higher than the hurdle for just getting getting in. So therefore, poor kids who were in that lower level, ability, lower but ability, yeah, might have I'm not sure if that makes any great difference to what you're. Yeah. I don't, um, yeah, I haven't really thought about that, uh, the, the, 
the, the ground system or like that here. I think the point Paul was making could be important about email as well. Yeah, you were just trying to think through a model as to why education might affect attitudes towards uh, homophobia. Yeah. One would think your prior might be that universities more likely to, to sort of make you more tolerant of them. Just yeah. in the same secondary school, maybe the same bigoted Christian brother people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, especially those of us who were brought up in, you know, so you could, Christian brothers so or schools. Yeah, I could have looked at non-linearity yeah. in schooling. Um, or spline. Um, and I have enough, in principle, I have enough instruments for it. One of the reasons why people don't do that in this literature is typically you might just have one one instrument, one dummy, like a raising of the school leaving age. So you can only have one schooling, right? You only, one instrument, one endogenous variable. Um, in principle, I could do that, yeah. I just haven't, haven't thought of it. Um, so in addition to looking at the ordered outcome, um, I'm going to also look at binary outcomes. So I'm going to transform those five categories down to two. You'll see why in a minute. That makes things... Um, that gives you more options. So there's, there's a whole bunch of ways of estimating what's commonly called um, IV probit. Uh, I think the first one to crack this was Amania, um, which is essentially what, the equivalent of, of what I'm doing here. There's also a Rivers and Vong approach, and there's a Nui two-step approach, which is the one, for various reasons, I went down this route rather than this one. Although, not a particularly compelling reason, so I'm actually going to revert to Amania. The results are, are the same. And Lubel has an approach as well, which I, I've experimented with in another context. Uh, but in, in, in these approaches, and in the Rivers and Vong, you're, you're assuming bivariate normality. So that tends to be, the results tend to be robust to those assumptions. And also the Angus approach, which is just do two stages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could just do IV or, or GMM. Um, and uh, Angra says, yeah, saw the nonlinearity. And, uh, um, and in fact, I've done that. And the results are a little bit different, but not, not dramatically so. Um, so that's what a lot of people in, uh, I mean, the, the, the argument for that is that, you know, you're, you don't have to make any assumptions about distribution. You don't have to make these heavy functional form assumptions. You're just looking at a conditional mean. Um, so, so the variable is that, that category, one to five, whether you agree, disagree, blah, 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 with people's attitude, uh, whether gays and lesbians should be free to live uh, life as they wish. The controls, age, age squared, sex, paternal education. You could put in mothers as well, but they're just very highly correlated. Uh, it's a four-category uh, variable, which I, I think it's, I, I think the lowest category is like, so this is what level of education your father finished. I think the lowest one is primary or none. And remember, for that generation, a lot of people are, a significant number of people are down there. And then I think it's lower secondary, upper secondary, and then higher education. Uh, rural, urban, whether they're foreign born. The reason for this is that people who are foreign born may or may not have been affected by the reform, right? Depending on when they immigrated. Um, so I do two things. One is I just have a foreign-born dummy, and I also just chuck them out. Um, 
it, it, for, for Ireland then, it's, it's a fairly small percentage actually, so it doesn't make any difference. Now, there's lots of other things you could think of that are correlated with the outcome. Lots of other attitudes, things like religiosity, uh, union membership, marital status. I don't include those because I think they're just putting in, explaining one endogenous variable in terms of another doesn't really get us anywhere. Explaining one attitude in terms of another is, you know, they're correlated, but you're not explaining anything. There's actually a recent paper, recent NBR paper about a week ago, that looks at how religiosity is affected by, by education and doing IV. Um, and yeah, education makes you more uh, godless. What about, um, have you got principally No, I don't, because that's, that would be likely to be affected by education. That would be endogenous. I, 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 so you have uh, labour market status, but I didn't think I was... That was a good idea to put that in. That's sort of thing along, along the lines of <clears throat> the way in which people get exposed to, to, to where, where do you get exposed to other people, other people's views? In the pub. Are they working canteen? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I just thought it was kind of most likely endogenous. Um, I may have tried it, I can't remember. I certainly didn't spend long, I didn't dwell on it if I did. Um, I thought it was safer to stick with stuff that looked pretty exogenous. That was my kind of, it's my gut instinct nowadays. I've come, become more parsimonious when I, come, when I do these things now. Yeah, urban rural looks dodgy. Yeah, I, well, most, okay, most, um, Yeah, you don't. So, yeah, some of them migrated. I can take that out. I, again, I don't know if I ever have. I, I will to bet it makes no difference. But I don't know. Um, you do know... You know more than rural urban. I think you know the actual region in Ireland, standard economic region. Um, you do, yeah. There's a, the region IE variable. So... I'm just going to put in the coefficients of interest. The rest are in the paper, just for reasons of clutter. So what we have here is the coefficient in the simple uh, probit on, on years of education. And sure enough, uh, the more education you have, uh, the more tolerant you are towards um, gays and lesbians, based on, on what they say. Um, I'll show you the marginal effect from this. It's quite small. I mean, it's obviously going to be fraction of, 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 of that. Uh, so here's the IV model, education equation, and then the, the second stage. So this is taking that no fees reform. So this is the group who are partially affected by it. This is the group that are fully affected by it. And sure enough, they get about a year more education. They get about a year and a half. So that's the direct effect. And then this is the interaction between the reform Again, just for simplicity, I've just kept it as a continuous variable. So we just have one set of interactions rather than two. Um, with the uh, father's education level, so the omitted one, uh, that's probably unfortunate terminology, the, the omitted one is the father's education primary. This is lower sec, upper sec, higher level. So you get, this is more or less what you'd expect, that the gradient, for, certainly for these two groups, um, is lower. Okay. Uh, it doesn't make any difference there, so it's almost like the, 
you, if you think of the gradient as being like that, it's kind of got flatter in the middle, but not the top. So the, the advantage that the, those from the very top end of the spectrum um, doesn't change with the reform. But these people uh, in the middle, their relative advantage, relative to the guys at the bottom of the, the rung, um, is less. Um, the correlation of the disturbance terms is, is negative, which is kind of obvious because this thing is a lot bigger than this. So this is our IV estimate and it's about four times the simple naive one. So it makes a difference and you know, if you do a Hausman test, well this is basically a test for endogeneity or exogeneity. So you can reject exogeneity based on that. I'll show you next. I'm glad you asked. Because it's with, with ordered probus, it's it's not obvious. Because um, with ordered probus, right? If something is positive, what that's saying is the whole distribution is shifting. Now, what you know for certain is that the people in the top category are going to go up, and the people at the bottom category are going to go down. But what happens in between is not obvious because you've people kind of entering those middle categories from below and then leaving it, heading up. So that's why you have to, 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 to work it out. Uh, so these are the marginal effects. So for the, the simple probit, what I call the naive probit, what you're finding is people are moving up. They're moving out of all the lower categories into the top one. Okay, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have to be that case. It could be that these two are gaining at the expense of these, but in fact, it's the top one is gaining at the expense of the lower four. Um, and this, so this is right. This is about one percentage point. Okay, and again, this is just the the marginal distribution. So this is the, about twenty two percent are in this category. Okay, so that's one percent relative to about twenty three percent. For the IV model, the marginal effects you, you can see the coefficient is about four times bigger. So the marginal effects are going to be about four times bigger. So it's the same story. What, education, what one year of education does is it, it basically shifts you up from these uh, lower categories into that one, and that's about four percentage points. That's, the, um, that's pretty much the, uh, the gist of the, the result. Let me talk about some other... Um, so that was the, using the plus or minus 10-year window around the reform. So the other thing I did was I narrowed it to a five-year window, which reduces the sample quite a bit. Um, so the coefficient is, I think, a little bit bigger. Uh, so instead of being 0.176, when we shrink it to a five, plus or minus five-year window, it goes up a bit, uh, which is probably what you, what you would expect. If we take out the foreigners, not that it makes much difference, uh, coefficient also goes up a little bit. Third thing I did was, given that it looks like you know, you're just shifting people out of these outcomes into this one, I turned it into a binary outcome where it's this versus the rest. Um, and then just do regular kind of IV probit. Um, and you get a coefficient of, of 0.224. That corresponds, now there's just one marginal effect, 
of about 5% per year. And the instruments work pretty much the same. It's the same first stage equation. Uh, so certainly it's, the results are robust to, to those things, and maybe there, there are other things I, I haven't looked at uh, that I, I can't speak of. Uh, next thing I did was to replicate it for the UK. So the ESS has lots of countries. So I repeated this exercise uh, for the UK data. Same outcome, same controls, same source. The only difference, obviously, is the instruments. And for there, I use these uh, two increases in the school leaving age, which have been well known uh, in, uh, in this literature. Colm Harmon and Ian Walker have, have mined it. So there was a raising of the school leaving age at the end of the war. Um, so when it was 44 in England and Wales and I think 45 in Scotland. And then there was a second increase, I think it was 73 in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. And then the Scots followed three years later for some reason. And just for simplicity, I've just looked at the binary outcome. Right? But we could look at the, the five-fold income as well. It doesn't make much difference. So what do you get? Um, it, looks, uh, it looks familiar because it's basically the same kind of result. So you get small positive effect in the simple probit. Here's the instruments. So each, each reform raises education by about half a year. That's probably on the lower side. I think when I've used this, these reforms in, with other data sets, and I think, I can't remember exactly what, what Colin and Ian got. I think they probably got higher numbers. Hmm? They have you think so? I've certainly got I've certainly got one or, or more. Um, so. Uh, Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen numbers like that. That would be. Um, yeah, like the first one looks about right. Hmm. Uh, boom, boom, boom. This is the, the ten-year window. So again, so this is what happens. The IV coefficient is about four times, five times, six times. In fact, bigger. Um, it's not as well determined as as I found with the Irish data. And if you look at the plus or minus five-year window, again, it's not as well determined, but it's a similar, similar story. So the results for the UK are broadly similar to, uh, um, to the Irish data. Now, you've been such a good audience. Uh, I have some bonus results. And this relates to the question that we got asked earlier. There's a, a question in this, uh, in this data set um, where people are asked the following question. This, so these are bonus in the sense that it's not in the paper, but it, I think it will be in the, in the revision. Or I love doing that. <laughs> just cool. uh, people were asked, given the statement, men should have more rights to jobs than women when jobs are scarce. And the five responses that were they're invited to, to tick. Agree strongly, agree, neither, disagree, disagree strongly. So I basically replicated uh, for this outcome um, uh, the same model, same instruments, blah, 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 blah. 
And let me just give you the bottom line. So in the simple uh, naive model, ordered probit, you get a coefficient of 0.075, um, well determined. Uh, but once you instrument it, it goes up about fourfold. So education makes people less chauvinistic in, a, in terms of gender roles. Here we're kind of back to this issue, I suppose, of vested interest. Because you might say, well, if you're a woman and you're highly educated, you know, you'd strongly expect someone to disagree, disagree you expect such a woman to disagree, right? Because she has a lot to lose. Whereas a man, well, maybe they'd actually quite like women to, you know, uh, to have a lower uh, right to jobs or something like that. So you might expect some, some, some male-female differences. Um, interestingly enough, the effect is actually bigger for males. So education makes men less chauvinistic to a greater degree than it makes women less chauvinistic. It's not massive. So, so for men, this coefficient is like 0.31 or something, and for women, 0.28 or something like that. So it's probably not, not very significant. But, but Yeah. Yeah, but why would, you, why would it affect them more? Well, probably not, no, no. Uh, if I was to, but I think if you were to put money on it, you'd expect the effect to be greater for women. Um, so what I've done here is I've looked at two outcomes, right, two attitudes separately. Uh, the chauvinism one and the homophobia one. And you might think that these are related, uh, which they are. The, the outcomes are quite highly correlated. Uh, so you might think, well, why not put it together? Instead of having two systems of two equations, just model it as a th three equation system. So you've like two probits and a, and a regression. And you can do that. Um, not difficult. It doesn't actually change things very much. Um, so there's, there's, no great, there's no great advantage from, from, from doing it that way unless you just makes your tables a bit simpler. So, we're running out of time. So, um, on, uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, there was an article in the Sunday Times about this paper, right, about the working paper. This is a Geary and an economics working paper. So, the Sunday Times had a little piece on it, and that was, it was fine. And often, I've had a lot of stuff in, in, in uh, newspapers, and what happens is you come into work the next morning and a radio station rings you looking for an interview, right? Because there's lots of radio stations and they're desperate for people to talk to, right? So I was expecting some kind of feedback. So I sat down, oh, it was a Tuesday, and uh, I got in, phone rang, and it was an irate member of the public ringing uh, to tell me my work was a waste of time and money. I shouldn't be doing it. And they really had a go at me. And it was, I've never had that experience before. You know, I'm sure lots of people do think my work is a waste of time and money, but they don't normally make the effort of bringing and telling you. And uh, you know, I obviously gave the context of what I was doing and the logic and tried to explain uh, the merits of, of what I was doing. And um, I think it's fair to say I failed completely to convince them because they, they still thought I was doing a waste of time and money. And their point was kind of interesting, though, because they were kind of saying, well, you know, you're just looking at homophobia, but there's lots of other attitudes you, you should be looking at. You know, why just pick on these? And allegedly, the Sunday Times has an, has a, an obsession with homophobia. I have no idea. I don't read the paper. Um, but, you know, there's some merit in that, in the sense that I'm looking at one particular prejudice because it's the one that's in the data, and there's other ones that you, you know, you could, you could look at, like the immigrant one and, and so on. 
Um, but it was interesting to be uh, told that. Apparently one of the things I, I was, should have been looking at was there was some uh, Muslim gentleman wasn't able to bring his three wives into Ireland. And I should have been looking at this, so. <laughs> I don't, can't do everything. So here's my conclusions for what they're worth. So I think, you know, people are interested in attitudes, right? There's a whole industry on public opinion. People work on it here, lots of survey companies uh, collect data on attitudes. And knowing the correlates of them as well is interesting. Men think this more than women or young people, old people, tall people, short people or whatever. Um, but I think it's nice to go beyond that, to look at, try and get at uh, what causes these uh, attitudes. And I suppose one causal thing that is important to people is, is you know, education. That we, we think that education is a formative experience. It's not just, not just about making us higher earners. And I think a lot is believed. You know, if you ask the man in the street, or even ask policymakers, or ask the Minister for Education, they'll say, oh yes, education is very important. It makes people better citizens and so on. Uh, but my sense is that very little is actually known. Um, so I've tried to uh, contribute that, to that, and I've done what economists do now uh, with, with great frequency. I've used a natural experiment and some colometrics um, to show that education increases at least stated tolerance. Right? So there's this issue of do they mean what they say? Okay. Um, results are similar for the UK, as you've seen, and we get kind of analogous results when you look at this question about uh, gender stereotypes or sexual chauvinism or whatever you want to call it. Okay, on that bombshell, I'll finish. <laughs> any, any questions? Okay, I don't have a question, more of a comment. I, I think it'd be nice to show some pictures. With the, the like the picture of Graham Norton or something? Or? <laughs> A lot of this depends on being able to separate out just, just changes over time that you know, sort of more younger people have different attitudes to older people. So more recent cohorts have different attitudes to older cohorts. So it'd be very compelling if you could show like if you if you just show the attitudes by cohort that there's just a jump for the people who are directly affected by this change. It's kind of a smooth jump. Smooth, you know. um, so it'd be very easy to do that, to just show the education levels by cohort and, and the, um, by, by socioeconomic status, and do the same thing for the attitudes. And yeah. just show explicitly, if, if it's there, that there, it's actually a jump rather than just some sort of upward trend. That, yeah. Because we know younger people tend to be, uh, have more of a forgiving attitude. But do you mean younger? In terms of birth year, the more recent generations. More recent generations have different attitudes to older generations. So, so, so yeah, obviously, I, I think that's important to nail down because sort of it's an automatic criticism that if you don't explicitly nail down the core stuff, that people worry it's just that this younger people are different from older people. Yeah, but like within a 10 year window, they're the same cohort, aren't they? I don't know. You know. <laughs> um, I think. Nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, I know it's in the paper, and I think it was nineteen ninety-three. Um, well, maybe that was the Supreme Court decision, the one that Mary Robinson took. But I think it was ninety-three. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, what I tried to do to get around that was just to look at a narrow window. Uh, at night. Of, I mean, people like pictures, so it'd be nice to pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry? Do you use the people who aren't treated as a as a control group? So if you look at changing attitudes for people it's just a primary education of the theory. Oh right. So the theory weren't uh didn't avail of the the pre secondary piece. So we see a jump in attitudes but then they wouldn't necessarily rule out uh well, the so there'll be nobody, well, no, but there'll be, by the time this reform was introduced, everyone would have had to have primary education. But just, yeah, just the people who had primary education didn't go out secondary. And compare what with what, sorry, I'm not. Just look at whether the attitudes had changed within that Oh, just as they got older? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, implicitly, I am comparing the treated with the untreated, right? That's what the dummy, that's what it's doing. I suppose what you're saying is interact education with age, I think. Um, I know we did this in our, in our earnings paper, because we worried about that a lot, but I don't think I've done it here. Yeah, I could go. Okay, well, I, I, I declare the seminar closed. <laughs> 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 <laughs>